You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides weekly updates on Florida's coronavirus response with a particular focus on North Central Florida. Each week, From the Front Lines will feature community leaders and frontline workers working to reopen their communities safely during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host Ryan Vasquez and this is From the Front Lines. As the state continues to slowly reopen, many are looking at the next steps in that process. One step parents and students from kindergarten to college all want to know is when can schools reopen? The Florida Association of District School Superintendents would like to know that too, but they'd also like a little more guidance from the state. Michael Grego is superintendent for Pinellas County Schools and is on the association's board of directors. We know there is still a tremendous amount of uncertainty, but having statewide parameters and conditions allows the districts then to truly plan for local context. Some higher education institutions like the University of Florida are reopening in phases, starting with faculty and staff. They're going through a process of screening. They're all, all of them are getting the opportunity to be tested, um, and then they will follow very strict guidelines uh, for uh, where they work. In this episode, we will look at how K-12 schools are preparing for both a unique graduation environment and conducting school in the fall. We will also hear the unique challenges students may face when coming back to school. And we will check in with higher education institutions from community colleges to four-year universities to find out how they plan on reopening their campuses quickly and safely. Before we can think about what next school year will look like, we have to put a cap on this one. A graduation cap. The class of 2020 would usually be getting ready to walk across the stage, shake hands, and receive their diplomas next month. But this tradition has been canceled due to COVID-19. School systems are coming up with safe alternative plans to honor senior graduates, and some are getting creative. Students at Matanzas and Flagler Palm Coast High Schools will be driving across the iconic Daytona Motor Speedway for their respective graduation ceremonies. WUFT's Daniela Mora spoke with Superintendent of Flagler County Public Schools, James Tager, for how this innovative ceremony idea came to be and the protective measures in place to make sure everyone remains safe. My first question is, how long have you guys been out of school and out of regularly scheduled classes? We have been out since a week before our spring break, so I want to say this is probably the sixth week that we've been out. How did you all come up with this interesting graduation plan <laughs> for the seniors? Like, obviously, this is a very, you know, stressful time for everyone, but sadly, the class of 2020 gets to miss out on a lot of traditions. So can you walk me through the process of how this came to be, this idea? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a really good question. We um, started looking at this probably a month to a month and a half ago. We had a committee and it was our executive director for student community engagement, the two principals, two activity directors, from one from each school. And then we have at Flagler schools, we have two student board members. So they were probably the biggest part of this. And then we invited two more students from each of the high schools, two from Flagler Palm Coast and two from Matanzas, so six students were really a pretty big driving force on this. One of the things we talked about um, that was important to the students was they wanted to have something sooner as opposed to later. And we were really, um, they were really looking out for their classmates at the end of the day, because some are gonna go to the military, some are moving, some are going on to college, and, and they didn't want to wait. Um, another word that they were using is they were virtualed out. They didn't want to have a virtual graduation. We're a, a close-knit community here, so they talked kind of about having a 
parade around Flagler County and then having the students have a ending spot that was special to them where they could receive their diplomas. And so they had been meeting for a while. Then the Speedway, um, Chip Wild, the, the president there, um, reached out to us. And of course, I became very excited by the idea, but I excluded myself from the committee. So it went back to that group and they were very excited about this opportunity. And we just um, are very gracious and grateful for what the Speedway did for our community. Um, they're trying to do a lot during this time for other folks as well. But the fact that it kind of, we were looking at a parade type of an idea anyway, and this is gonna be all um, in cars. So, and I mean, I don't know what could be better. These kids have been in school for 13 years and you're gonna finish your career going across the speedway, hearing your name called at the most iconic speedway in the world. So we're very excited. Um, I would have said yes right away, but I had to wait for the committee and the students were really into this idea and it seems to be gaining a lot of popularity. And how is this ceremony gonna work? What are the precautions that are in place so that the students can still receive their diploma and have their special moment, but also you know, maintain social distancing and make sure that no one is put in any danger of contracting the virus? Yeah, we met with the Speedway a week ago and we're going there again tomorrow. And they are very um, in tune to CDC and what the recommendations are, as are we as a school district. So what's gonna, the, way, the way this is going to work is each family will have one car. And the student will be in the back seat of the car, if you can picture this, behind the driver's seat. And they will, the ceremony will kind of look like this. They'll be lined up just as if you were before a race, about three cars across, and then they'll be deep. There's 600 graduates at Flagler Palm Coast and about 450 at Matanzas. So the cars are lined up, and there'll be a stage in front. We'll have a principal probably give a speech, a student, and then there'll be some kind of a musical selection. And then when they actually start their engines, they'll go around the track, the two and a half mile track, and they'll go into one line at some point. And then as they cross the finish line, their name will be called. And we, the principal will hand the diploma into the window to the student. And if you can picture the speedway, they're taking pictures from the grassy area. So the student will be there with their parent in the front seat, receiving their diploma and then in the background you'll see where the raceway is so it's, it's kind of a pretty cool thing uh the speedway grandstand i guess that's what it's called will be in the background they'll go back to the beginning spot where they were staged and that's where we will turn their tassel from one side to the other and then they will start their engines and go home but uh <laughs> it's all going to be in cars um we're very excited about it. and i think even the speakers um the people that are going to sing will be in their car, they'll step on the stage for that. I know I'm doing the tassel piece at the end, same kind of thing, I'll be on the stage. While the sun will set on some student school careers, the majority of Florida students from kindergarten to high school will be coming back in the fall for another school year. That has school officials eyeing what the school year will even look like come fall. Daniela checked in with school districts around the state to see how they were planning for a school year that could still be impacted by the ongoing pandemic. The 2019-2020 school year is coming to a close, and now school officials are shifting their attention to the fall. Most counties have yet to release their plans for the next school year. However, counties like Miami-Dade, one of the areas hardest hit in Florida by the coronavirus, have started to name possible changes for the new school year, according to Superintendent Alberto Carvalho. We are considering many options to protect students and employees, including issuing masks and gloves. 
daily temperature checks, adjusting schedules to avoid crowded cafeterias, gyms, and hallways, considering when appropriate the expansion of outdoor class options. Carvalho also named smaller bus capacities and a blended online and in-person learning model. But smaller counties like Marion still have a lot to consider, says Director of Public Relations Kevin Christian. We're really dealing with this one day, one week at a time. Graduation is still a month away and a lot can change before then, um, both good and bad. Many counties in Florida are waiting for guidance and direction from state officials, like Flagler County, says Superintendent of Schools James Tager. I think there's still a lot of uh, unanswered questions. We'll see. We're kind of waiting on our direction from the Commissioner of Education for the state of Florida and the Chancellor. So we kind of wait and see, but we're, I guess, planning for all scenarios. But summer school plans are starting to roll out across the state, says Superintendent Carvalho. Our plan is to start school earlier this year, beginning July 27th for academically fragile students, while also offering virtual test preparation and tutoring for students who missed certain testing required for graduation. Marion County will also provide resources for students who need academic help and even offer some resources they haven't been able to provide in years. During this time, schools are also taking input from parents and students throughout this transition to make sure learning is safe and still effective in the midst of the pandemic. When schools do finally get back to opening, what new challenges might they face? The long layoff from in-person instruction and challenges that remote learning can have may leave a generation of children backsliding in their education. Melissa Fato spoke with researchers at the University of Florida College of Education about the challenges parents, teachers, and students could face. Parents all across the country are grappling with how to keep their kids academically on track as they wonder when schools will open again. Dr. Raisa Ankeny, who works in the UF College of Education and taught English as a second language for 12 years, is in that exact position. Dr. Ankeny has two boys, four and seven years old. It has been chaotic. It is a lot of emotional work that people don't really think about when you're home. Even though she knows her older son's teachers are doing their best, she says her son isn't really learning in his online lessons. It's all maintenance. The kids can't, like, there's not really a lot of, like, new learning going on. Rather, they're, like, going back and doing a lot of review. There's never been a push for teachers to learn how to teach online. Dr. Ankeny says she's helped her son stay on track with a learning schedule she's designed. But her younger son, being preschool age, isn't receiving distance learning. And she's especially concerned about her older son returning to school. I'm very concerned for, for August. I don't even think he knows how to subtract anymore after this. One of the biggest questions on the minds of teachers and educational researchers is when school resumes in the fall, whether in person, online, or some combination, what kind of ramifications are we going to see from this long educational interruption? Every child now in America is a student with interrupted formal education. And so it's not any longer limited to those students, for instance, who came across the border, maybe from Guatemala, who hadn't been to school for a few years or six months. These are for, this is going to be the category for every American student. That's Dr. Maria Cody, a professor in the UF College of Education. She works largely with rural communities, English language learners, and bilingual students. Dr. Cody says the pandemic is illuminating the educational inequities amongst racial and economic lines. Educators in more rural, less privileged communities have stepped up to meet greater needs. 
And so there's been a tremendous shift in the work that all educators do, the teachers, the principals, the vice principals, and the guidance counselors, the specialists, um, really trying to reach out to non-English speaking families in the communities and uh, ensure they have access to food and sometimes healthcare. Um, and then of course, there's the whole area of teaching and learning. Dr. Cody says the teachers she works with in North Central Florida report around 50% attendance in their online classes. That number dips the older students get, as many are joining their parents in agricultural work to make ends meet. She echoes Dr. Ankeny's concerns that when school resumes in the fall, student and teachers won't be ready. All of these children have tremendous learning needs now, and we're not close to state standards. We're, we're, you know, how are they going to back up their instruction and go back and reteach basically half of an academic year, in addition to whatever students lost from what they did learn, and then start from there. Dr. Cody and another researcher from the College of Education, Dr. Chris Curran, both mentioned the growing connectivity divide as contributing to educational inequity as well. Here's Dr. Curran. So students that have access to the technology, the resources at home that allow them to try to continue learning in the midst of the pandemic as compared to those students that do not. But Dr. Curran, who also co-directs the Education Policy Research Center, says past catastrophes show that this may also be a chance for educational leaders to rethink school standards moving forward. So many people have pointed to New Orleans and the post-Katrina environment um, and some of the gains that have been made there academically. Um, in part, perhaps because the system um, was able to, through, through the tragedy of Katrina, was able to restructure, reorganize, and do some things differently educationally. And though it's still unclear how exactly schools will look like in the fall, Dr. Curran says schools will need significant resources to make necessary adjustments. So a lot of the, the plans for thinking about how we reopen our schools involve a variety of creative things, but some of them might be smaller class sizes that allow us to avoid larger groups where a virus may be spread. It may mean additional resources for cleansing and masks and um, personal protective equipment for teachers and, and staff and students. It may mean different strategies such as having some students attend school part of the day or only certain days of the week, and then it's maybe combined then with sort of a hybrid and virtual educational platform. When it comes to when and how to reopen schools, that discussion can be a bit trickier for colleges and universities in the state. Most higher education institutions operate close to year-round, and there are huge financial implications to consider. That's why it's important for many to reopen as soon as possible, while of course keeping in mind a safe environment to do so. Cameron Lund checked in with two prominent community colleges in North Central Florida to discuss the unique situation they find themselves in amidst the pandemic. Santa Fe College President Paul Brody walked into an interesting situation. Brody took over as acting president in February, and just over a month later, he was shutting down campus and telling students to go home. Brody praised his staff and leadership team in this troubling time. I have an outstanding leadership team uh, here at Santa Fe and an outstanding faculty and staff. And I'm going to stop there um, because it's really not about me. It's about the special institution uh, that I run and the people that are in that institution. Tens of thousands of both Santa Fe and University of Florida students left Gainesville, and the question still remains, are they coming back anytime soon? For Santa Fe, that decision on whether to be in person in the fall does not yet have a decision date. President Brody believes that if students are back in the fall, Santa Fe will be looking into keeping students informed while they are both in the classroom and at their homes off campus. We're providing constant education to individuals, in, in addition to 
on putting in place some uh, distancing guidelines, et cetera. But I think, you know, once they leave our campuses and they're out in the community, we want them to continue those practices. In times of economic downturn, such as the one that we may possibly be facing in the coming months, state colleges find themselves in a position, unlike universities, where enrollment may go up. President Brody addressed that occurrence. There's a unique thing that happens at um, colleges such as ours. Uh, at times when there's an economic downturn, um, our enrollment does the opposite and it goes up. Uh, so we have to be prepared for that. So if we tighten the belt too tight, we may, may not be able to serve uh, the needs of our students. Santa Fe College has a student body of over 15,000 students and is a direct feeder to UF. Just over 40 miles up I-75, Florida Gateway College serves less than a third of that student body, but much like their southern neighbor, they are taking similar precautions. Florida Gateway could see a 5% increase in enrollment during both the summer and fall semesters. Florida Gateway College's communications officer, Mike McKee, says part of that summer increase in enrollment is the college offering a special buy one, get one course plan during this time. In order to keep students on track for graduation, we provided with a uh, take one class and, and we will uh, comp the second class at no charge. And we had, we had probably five to 600 students that took, took advantage of that. Now, it costs the college some scholarship money, but mm -hmm. that's what that scholarship money is there for. Technical programs such as automotive and welding, which are already relatively isolated, will continue in person during the summer, whereas two-year associate degree programs were moved online. Gateway serves the counties of Baker, Columbia, Dixie, Gilchrist, and Union. Several of those counties are quite rural. The college set up internet access at the school's parking lot to allow for remote learning in this time where Wi-Fi is a necessity. And what we've done is we've set up one of our parking lots where students could come in their cars and hook up to a Wi-Fi hotspot. Uh, and we also had those in uh, Cross City and in, and in Bell in Gilchrist County. But we, we allowed students, to, but they, they had to stay in their cars in order to finish their class. No matter the student body size or school location, it seems that institutions are trying their best to continue higher learning in this era of COVID-19. Meanwhile, four-year institutions have their own unique financial and safety concerns when it comes to coronavirus. Taylor Levesque spoke with officials of five Florida public universities on how their campuses are operating and plans for the fall semester. As Florida Public University's summer terms begin, students and faculty around the state are adapting to remote online instruction. Instruction became virtual and students were advised to return home back in March. But despite this, many university campuses in Florida never closed. At Florida Gulf Coast University, Vice President and Chief of Staff Susan Evans says students were given the option to stay on campus. We have a one small dining takeout that we have available on very modified hours. We have approximately three to four hundred students who are on campus in housing for the summer. While at New College of Florida, Director of Marketing and Communications Ann Comer Woods says their Sarasota-based campus underwent a large transition. Probably 90% of our students living on campus, and now we're down to about a dozen students. Currently, all universities are providing remote virtual instruction through the summer. 
While this transition was different for every university, at the University of West Florida, Executive Director of Institutional Communications, Megan Gonzalez, says it was very flexible, especially moving into the summer. Traditionally, we offer around 60 to 70 percent of our courses in an online format during summer semesters anyway, so that was already set up. So we strategically looked at the courses we were offering to be able to still offer our students the courses that they need to graduate and continue their education. This transition has also affected students financially. University officials of New College of Florida, the University of Florida, Florida Gulf Coast University, and Florida Polytechnic University say they are providing funding for students through the CARES Act. At the University of West Florida, Gonzalez says they have even given students money back. We've also provided refunds for dining and housing for those that left before the end of the semester. For all 2020 spring graduates, the coronavirus has also impacted graduation. Many universities have been forced to hold virtual ceremonies, but many have postponed in-person ceremonies until the fall. Florida Polytechnic University President Randy Avent says graduation is an important time in a student's college career. It's partly about walking across the stage and getting that recognition, but it, it's uh, much more about doing that with your friends and enjoying the moment together. Florida Polytechnic University's makeup ceremony is scheduled for December 18th. New College of Florida's is scheduled for December 5th. The University of West Florida ceremony will tentatively be held on August 1st, and the University of Florida's makeup ceremony is scheduled for the end of July. Speaking of fall semester, each university is following all guidelines while preparing for how the semester will return. At the University of Florida, Assistant Vice President of Communications Steve Orlando says students and faculty can expect to follow new procedures. There will be different behavioral expectations on campus, just as you're seeing everywhere with social distancing and with mask wearing and using hand sanitizer and frequent hand washing, all of the things you're seeing everywhere else. Event says college officials for all public universities in Florida are also working together. Presidents and the chancellors meet once or twice a week to discuss uh, what each one of us are doing and I think that the the large pieces of that plan will look fairly consistent from university to university. Florida Gulf Coast University and Florida Polytechnic University coronavirus task forces have also been planning for all kinds of circumstances. It is not clear whether classes at each university will return to campus or remain online for the fall semester. At New College of Florida, Comer Woods says they want all students and faculty to feel comfortable with how the semester will be set up. We want to take all cautions that we can to ensure the safety and health of all members of our campus community. And all kinds of precautions are being uh, considered and how we might be able to deploy them on our campus while at the same time ensuring as best we can the health and safety of everyone on the campus community. The University of Florida, University of West Florida, Florida Gulf Coast University and Florida Polytechnic University officials say students can expect to have an update on the status of fall semester sometime in July. As we mentioned, every school has its own unique set of obstacles to reopening. Small schools to big schools from public to private. Barry University is a small, private Catholic university in Miami Shores, Florida. The school's president, Dr. Mike Allen, joined the university last July. He says many of their students are financially needy or the first in their family to attend college. 
He spoke with producer Melissa Fato about the university's plan to reopen. What an event to have to deal with so soon after becoming the president, really. It makes me especially grateful for our community here. And we have some great experts on our campus. They've dealt with a lot of campus emergencies in the past, primarily hurricanes, which we're very familiar with down here in South Florida. But I think that experience has served us very well as a campus community that we weren't uh, taken off guard by the by just the severity of a crisis. Now, of course, the question in everyone's mind is what's going to happen in the fall. I know that no one has the answer to that right now, so that's <laughs> not what I'm asking. But if you could just tell me about the current state of your reopening strategy, you know, like what kind of things are being taken into account? Sure, it, it's a great question, and and you know, as as you noted, I think at Barry, like at most places, it's certainly our our intention, our hope, our aspiration to have an in person semester in the fall, but we all know a lot of things have to fall in place for that to, to be able to happen safely. So first and foremost for us, everything is driven by the, the health and the safety and the welfare of our students. So we have four task forces here within our community at Barry who are working on this and the lead task force is the, the healthcare task force. And that's where we have our medical experts and others basically really focusing on the federal, the state, the local guidance, what we're seeing in terms of expectations and what is needed to keep our campus safe. And, and that's our starting point. And then that, that information will then be relayed to the other three task forces, which get into more of the operational side of things. So how do we run our academic programs? What, what does a classroom look like if social distancing is still needed? Right? How, do, how does that affect our academic schedule? How does it spread it out? Does it need to spread into weekends? Do you need to rotate in-person versus online or remote learning uh, within the same class, depending on which days of the week it is? Um, then you get into our student life task force. What does it mean for residents? What does it mean for how you live and interact as students? What does it mean for intercollegiate athletics? And those kind of things. And then the fourth task force is our workforce. Uh, group and, and this is a really important one because this is the group that will probably be, probably be impacted first, which is our, our faculty and staff and how do they safely return to campus and what are the parameters around what that looks like. We have about 1500 employees at, at Barry, counting everybody, full-time, part-time employees. A higher percentage of those, may, those faculty and staff may fall into vulnerable categories and we want to be especially sensitive to their needs in their safety and, and, and well-being as, along the lines uh, of our reopening as well. How do you think that um, a reopening plan for a university like Barry, which is a small private university, differs yeah. from like a really large public university like the University of Florida? Are there upsides to it? Are there more challenges? Being a smaller campus community allows us uh, the ability to manage in, in a more micro level and, and that can have its advantages for sure. I think the flip side of that is being a large, uh, particularly public institution comes with a vast array of resources that would maybe be helpful to those institutions. So the way I approach this in, in terms of your question is, um, I think we need to stay very closely aligned. I think the public, I don't think there should be a big distinction between the public and privates. And, and typically there's not. Uh, I'll give you an example here in, in uh, South Florida, particularly in Miami. Uh, we have a group called the, the Academic Leadership Council, 
which is the presidents of all the, the Miami-based institutions. So you have in the same uh, conversation, the president of Miami-Dade, uh, the president of Florida International, UM, along with Bear University, uh, St. Thomas, and Florida Memorial, who are, who are very different institutions. So we're all talking and trying to stay aligned in our approach to managing this throughout. Would you say that Barry's Catholic identity has anything relevant to do with the school's COVID-19 response, or is it, is it not too relevant? I think our Catholic identity permeates everything that we do, and our mission permeates everything that I do, particularly the Dominican values that are grounded in that mission. So when we all do reopen, a big part of this will be social responsibility. And it's a big part of it now, right? It's keeping yourself safe, keeps your neighbor safe, and, and being, being um, sensitive to the, need, the health needs of the entire community. That's going to be more true than ever when we all come back uh, as one campus in person, and wearing your face mask and being respectful of social distancing, particularly when you think about a, a younger population uh, that um, you know, may not perhaps be as vulnerable but we need them to be every bit as responsible as, as every other person on campus. And this is where our mission really comes into play. A big part of our, of our core commitment is a commitment to social justice through collaborative service. And to me, I can't see a bigger or, or stronger example of that than when you return to campus, making sure that you're following all the appropriate guidelines so that everybody else can stay safe and stay healthy. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers Taylor Levesque, Daniela Mora, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please contact WUFT on Facebook or Twitter, or send an email to news at WUFT.org. That's news at WUFT.org. Join us next Friday for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.